You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we have another leader in the industry into the studio for the first time. It is David Cresp. He is the Director for Property and Economics at Urbis. David, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much, Trent. David, it's an interesting role you hold in the industry. You're well-cited quite often in newspapers, on panel discussions. People want to hear from you. You're not in the development space, in the valuation space, generally in that commentary space. You obviously come from a more academic part of the conversation, which is obviously why your views are very well regarded. How do you find your space in the industry these days? You're right. We sit in a slightly different area. We're property economists. So rather than uh, valuers tend to look at what's the property worth. We look at the supply and demand of property and what's that meaning into the future, which means we do provide a bit of a different perspective to the property market. And it's really trying to look at where are things now, but more, more importantly, where do we see things going in the future? Would you say you look at it from a more macro perspective rather than a micro perspective? Reality is we do both. A lot of the time we are having a look at things from quite a micro perspective. What's going to happen on what's the highest and best use of this property? What should we be doing in terms of mix of apartments on this property? So often it is a very micro perspective that we're looking at, but it really is taking in those macro trends, both at a sort of what's happening in the whole of Perth, what's happening the whole of the economy nationally, internationally, and then trying to apply those trends down to a very micro perspective down to how is it going to affect an individual developer or property owner's property. Well, what you're doing there is you're referring to your day-to-day work. Obviously, you guys work for private clients. These guys hire you to come in, provide market assessments, market forecasts, due diligence, stakeholder engagement, development feasibility studies. You guys are, the, I guess, assisting with the numbers behind the project and giving some arm's length third-party analysis, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of work for private sector developers. Also do a lot of work for government in both local government and state government when they're looking at property. And that can be for a whole range of things from how planning decisions affect the property markets through to development WA who are looking at things from from a development point of view or local government looking at how they can maximise their own property holdings value or looking at how policy decisions at local government level can be affecting market things. So before we move on to exactly where you're contributing in the market at the moment, I wanted to quickly talk about how you got to where you are. So you started off clearly in school, in university, like the rest of us. Was it a pretty straightforward pathway to where you are today or did you move around a little bit in the industry before you became a leader in your own right? I've been in the property industry since after university. I did Bachelor of Commerce majoring in property at university. and That would have uh, been at Curtin, right? Yeah, yep. it was indeed. And probably like lots of people, I went into a, a commerce degree not quite knowing what I was going to get out of a commerce degree. And uh, I liked economics, research side of things, and fell into the property stream of things. And when I finished university, my first job was at what was then Collier's Jardine, working in the sales department as an analyst then and doing cash flows on everything that we were selling at the time and, and pulling together things for the sales department. So helping with these information memorandums. Information memorandums, yeah. cash flows, helping out valves departments, um, writing databases, Justifying writing the cash sale price. flows. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, lots of that. 
interesting role that after a couple of years they said that uh, what they wanted to do was start up a research department. So we started up what Collier's Jardine at that stage didn't have a Perth research department but certainly had strong presence nationally in the property research area. So started up the property research area and grew that and my interest sort of grew more in the consulting area and whilst we're still running the research department was uh, doing a lot of consulting at the time to the East Perth Redevelopment Authority on a lot of their projects was working as the property consultant on a lot of their major projects and a lot of those are now come to fruition things like Subiaco Fine China, Perth City Link, East Perth Power Station so a lot of those things that uh, was working on some years ago and now sort of starting to materialise so it's great having worked on the early formation and master plans and had input into those and then actually see them now coming out of the ground and changing the face of this city. You spent 14 years there and you also dabbled a bit, it looks like, in lecturing at Curtin and then moved yep. on to Stockland. Yeah, yeah. I uh, got tapped on the shoulder by uh, a former colleague of mine and person that was uh, at the time leading Stockland, Nick Perrion and Jared Rendell, and said, we think you need need a change and come over to Stockland and uh, and we can do some great things together. And so, yeah, I got tempted to, uh, after 14 years, have a change and uh, really enjoyed my time at Stockland. Unfortunately, uh, the GFC hit and there were some, some fairly broad redundancies at Stockland as they right science to meet what was then a very challenging property market. So it was made redundant at that stage and actually ended up after that going back to Collier's and being a director in the office leasing markets. It's funny how the world pushes you in different directions and yeah. then back in, back in the other way. Yeah, yeah. So I'd always been pretty close to the agency side in my research days at Collier's and uh, it was great to be back there for a period and for a while the office market was running very hot and uh, benefited from post-GFC boom and the office market going really well for a while. Eventually the office market slowed down again and I felt it was time to go back to what I'd traditionally done in more the consulting and research area and role came up within Urbis. So it was a uh, great new opportunity and uh, Urbis is an incredibly strong company nationally and uh, but really didn't have a presence in the Perth market so I was really able to leverage my knowledge and contacts within the Perth market to grow over the time that I've been with Urbis to be very strong in that market and we've now got a team of 10 people at Urbis constantly look at what's happening in the uh, property market and how that applies to the problems that our clients have got. With regards to your role and your impact in Western Australia, how involved are you in the early stages for state government, for example, in getting new planning policies put together? We obviously have seen over the last couple of weeks the median density code has come through. Uh, that's going to have huge impacts on the way that people are able to develop in the small to medium scale. Uh, do you get involved at the early stage to assist with justifying some of the numbers there? Yeah, we often can get involved in that early stage and we try and make sure that we're bring some numbers and uh, making sure that economics does play an important part in those type of things. I, we did an early report just to have a look at the scale and where medium density development was happening in Perth very early on when they were thinking about that policy and then I sat on a uh, an advisory panel to uh, have, have some input into uh, sort of financials and economics and things of, along the way as they were thinking about that policy. So certainly those sort of things are things that we try and, as I say, make sure that economics do do have an important part to play in those type of policies and 
that's the space we play in. I remember speaking to Reedy Safiotti about this when the draft was released a couple of years ago and there seemed to be a disconnect between the minister's office in terms of their understanding of how the economics work on a micro level and my understanding from the real ground development perspective. There didn't seem to be too much of a concern that moving or transitioning from our existing built form to what is a more mature built form, which I recognize we need to move to over time in Perth, and whether or not the market is actually ready for it financially, both from a financing perspective via banks, but also simply most of the people who are pulling together these developments on a small to medium scale, most of them are mum and dad level. And I question whether the financials at a micro project level as to whether a lot of this stuff even stacks up, whether it's a good idea or not, has really been tested at a minister level. They have done a lot of testing along the way and this policy hasn't been brought in lightly. There has been a lot of testing and a lot of looking at a lot of different scenarios as this policy has been brought in. It's a challenging one though that a lot of the density increase that we have seen in Perth has been in middle ring suburbs and has been from triplex, quadruplex type development Mm. and the carving up of the original quarter acre lot that we've been going through and we're going through that at a pretty quick rate and we're starting to get to the stage that we're going to run out of some of those lots. So it's not something that's there forever and we can just keep doing. The other unfortunate thing in Perth is whilst it's been a sort of almost quick and easy win, it hasn't really resulted in a great outcome. Having people live behind other people and off streets down down long driveways is not really a great outcome. Can we do that better? Yes. And this is trying to be a start of how do we address that. Yeah. The challenge, you're absolutely right, is that transition period. And Could it have come at a worse time, Dave? It's certainly a challenging period and it's certainly a challenging period with housing supply and we're building a lot of single single residential dwellings and they will come onto the market. Is that going to be enough supply in the short term? No, it's probably not. No, and now we've hit a period that with higher interest rates, the demand for new housing slowed down as well, but we think that's going to kick up next year anyway. So the good thing is the, the industry has really geared up very considerably. Whilst they're really struggling at the moment, the analogy that's constantly been used in the single residential building industry is the snake that swallowed the wombat and mm. how, how far through the snake is the wombat. And the unfortunate thing at the moment is that it's probably only about halfway through. We've, we've got st- past the stage where you can't get brickies and the price of brickies has actually come down now. But we're still at a stage where struggling to get the roofs on, struggling to get the finishing trades on, and that's going to be continue to be the case for much of this year. By the back end of next year, we're probably getting to a stage that we're starting to cope again, and the building industry will start to be in, in a much better position going into next year. But as I say, the good thing from an economic point of view and a capacity point of view of the industry is we do have a big, very active and very capable single residential dwelling housing market there at the moment of builders that can produce. Well, that's you know that's the point, right? Is these guys are building single residential homes. They're used to it. The the builders themselves have the plans for it, the marketing, the products, the trades are used to it. But what essentially we're moving to here is more urban infill, 
that R30 to R60 space is now mandating uh, the requirement for most people would, would recognise to be two-storey builds. Uh, semi-detached houses, terrace housing, those sort of things. It takes longer, it costs more, it has different planning and architectural and engineering requirements. I think there's going to be a bit of a gap here between the policy coming in, the industry having the capability to get this off the ground, and the market even accepting it as a form of housing that they're interested in paying enough for. That's what I struggle with. Not to mention the fact that we haven't had an apartment building start in seven months. So where's the supply going to come from? Yeah, I think you're right. That, As I said, that transition is a real challenge. And I think a risk with the medium density side of things at the moment is that it does work, as you say, in the more luxury areas of Perth, then doing two-storey and doing townhouse development is not a challenge at all. It it's ain't that, working in Gosnells, put it that way. Yeah, exactly. The middle and outer areas of Perth, you are really going to struggle to make some of that form of development work as we think of it at the moment. I mean, I think the industry will adjust and we'll find a new housing typology that will work with that, but there's an adjustment period. And I think a risk with some of this is that rather than doing what we want of trying to encourage more medium density and higher density, there's a risk that this pushes people to the Straight outer out areas. Straight out expansion. Yeah, exactly. into, into the greenfield areas. exactly where I was getting into with this whole point of line of questioning, Dave, is that uh, if this was our only option, then the market would be forced to adopt it over time. We'd j- just like with apartments, right? We'd all just have to get used to it, just like everyone else around the world, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, lives. They live in apartments, same as in all through South America. They all live in massive high-rise apartments. Everyone is fine. Uh, we're obviously not at that level where we're accepting that that as a, as a population, at least in Western Australia. But the problem is when you've got an alternative form of housing, and that is simply just to continually develop large format, broad acre, greenfield developments outside of Bold Ivis and Byford, continuing the sprawl down to Serpentine, People will continually move that way. Builders will continue to stick with what they know, market what they know. Keystart will continue to be used as the financing option for it. And instead of pushing people towards urban infill as per the 2009 white paper that was designed, which is 14 years ago, to get essentially get developers and industry on with urban infill, it's going to squeeze the market back out to the expanses until one day maybe this works because people generally will do the easy option in life. Look, I think there's a place for both greenfield, medium density and higher density. There is a challenge at the moment that apartments, you're right, are pretty hard to make financially viable and we've seen a big jump in construction costs. And the challenge is that apartment prices have been pretty flat for a long time. Mm. Apartment prices are going to push up because... Well, there they have is, to. They ha- yeah, absolutely. There's no have. other way supply will come on if they don't. No, absolutely. And they are starting to, in the right areas of Perth, you are certainly seeing pushing up of apartment prices and developers have had to push the prices up, but the market is there because in a lot of the areas that you're talking about, apartment prices are getting pushed up. The single residential house in a lot of these western suburbs and more inner areas has gone up very considerably over the last three years anyway. So there is more room for growth in apartment prices. And we saw apartment prices be stable for a very long period of time there as well. There is a room absolutely for outer areas and we're going to continue to need greenfield supply. But I do think that there is a younger cohort starting to happen that 
don't necessarily want to be living in Alkermos or Yanship or Allenbrook or outer areas and are starting to say, hold on, no, an hour of travel and is not what I want in my life each way. I'm prepared to pay more to be in you know, a lifestyle location where my time has value and I'm also able to save money on other things such as driving my car and mm. other transport costs and things and look at a total cost of living, not just what's my mortgage. And I think for a long time in Perth, there has been an attitude that what you need in Perth to succeed is that you need a four-bedroom house on a quarter-acre block and that's sort of this old attitude and it's got to be double brick. I think there's a new attitude starting to come in that realises, well, there is no such thing as a quarter-acre block for younger people anymore. Even if I go out to the outer burbs, then the average lot size these days is about 370 square metres. I'm not getting a big big lot. I don't intend to have three children. I don't actually need a four-bedroom house. Let's actually think about what's the right type of housing for me, not what do my parents think is the right thing that should have value and that I should be buying. And that's that cosmopolitan shift that the East Coast has already made 10, 15 years ago. People on the East Coast don't uh, see it as a compromise to buy a really lovely apartment with river views or ocean views, whether it's in Brisbane or in the Gold Coast or in, uh, in the harbour in Sydney or Melbourne. They're seen as luxury products a lot of the time and they hold value in the same way that houses do. In Perth, culturally, we've just struggled with that, haven't we? And what it's led to is this chronic, critical undersupply in areas where people would like to live. And a lot of the daft there is that for so long we had this this massive oversupply of that stock standard apartment through East Perth or through Rivervale that nearly was misrepresentative of the way we want to have urban infill. Apartment supply does tend to go in waves and I was never a fan of saying that we had an oversupply. Fundamentally, there wasn't an oversupply. It was taking longer for builders to or developers to sell out a product than they would have liked. Did we chronically oversupply the market? No, we never actually got to that stage and we were a very long way from it. In fact, we were supplying largely in line with the demand, but some... some was it in the right places, though? Look, I think it was. We, were, we produced a variety of stock and generally it's been in the right places. As I say, at times it takes longer for a developer to sell out of their product than they would like and it hasn't been as successful as they would like. But the word oversupply, particularly in a Perth context, and again, coming to the fact that we're a very young apartment supply market, and you're right, we're not yet used to it, but people see apartment buildings when they're driving to work. They see it in their local areas and things, and it's quite in your face. There's cranes Mm. on the sky, and when you drive past it, you really notice it. What they don't notice in Perth is that we're creating new suburbs every year, and there are thousands of new dwellings that are happening at the urban fringe every day. They don't notice that because they'll drive past the freeway and notice 10 new yeah, It doesn't offend them. The yeah. edge of the freeway. And well, it doesn't offend them and a lot of people aren't even aware of the scale that we're rolling this sort of stuff out. But they'll see a big apartment building and, uh, and be shocked by it sort of thing. And so they get this sort of attitude, oh, it's oversupplied. And that suggests to people, seems to suggest to people we're building more than will ever get taken up. That was never, ever the case in Perth. We've taken them up. In fact, as you say, we're now sitting here saying, actually, we've got an undersupply of apartments and and we actually need more of that. So there's certainly demand for apartments and what has been built has 
pretty much all been taken up. A few years ago, there was a reasonable amount of completed apartments and you could go out and you could have a look at apartments that were completed, ready to go, brand new. You try doing that today, there's a real shortage of apartments that are actually completed. And so we're now starting to see more focus again on buying off the plan. But as we've discussed, it's now getting more expensive and more challenging for developers well, that's to, right. to do it. It's a big issue because you see a lot of developers, there's actually a few thousand apartments worth of projects now that are sitting on ice, either because developers can't make it stack up at existing prices, don't trust the construction price, won't continue to go up, or that the builder won't put a number to a contract. So there's a little bit of a Mexican standoff at the moment between the buyer, the developer and the builder who all of them would like to see a project happen but none of them want to take the risk to actually get it completed. Yeah, there are a few developments that are starting to uh, go well and we've just finished our quarter one survey and Dunes, for example, by Edge went really well with sales. And again, an example of a, a location of Scarborough that hadn't seen any new supply for a little while, um, Beach Shack has now sold out and yep. went incredibly well. And there's certainly in Scarborough a strong demand from people who are wanting to downsize and the baby boomers don't need the big house there and have got the money and been living in that sort of coastal northern beaches lifestyle. Have we seen a shift in price from Beach Shack to, to Dune? Obviously, it's we, Yes, you've had to because of that jump in construction prices. So yes, you are seeing price escalation in those type of areas and we need it but you have a look at it was something in the paper the other day saying how much the fact that we see a lot of complaints about apartments but the vast majority of people particularly in where we're seeing new development in inner areas and whether it's Scarborough or whether it's one Subiaco or developments like the Grove the vast majority of those people are local people who want to be able to downsize in their own area, want to continue to live in those type of areas. And there's been a real lack of supply in those type of areas. Do uh, the theme that you, the theme that's coming up here is that it's obviously been working over the last few years prior to a lot of the cost escalation in the Western suburbs. Do you see it working at Bayswater train station, Maylands train station out in Glendalough, for example? We have certainly seen development around the Maylands train station historically. Mm, but um, going forward? Look, it's going to take a bit of time to transition again and for development costs to sort of settle, settle down a bit and everyone get more familiar with where building costs will be. And I think the current real challenge out there at the moment, as you've highlighted, is that developers actually getting firm feel of where building costs are and having certainty about being able to lock things in and lock a builder in and get going with a project and having certainty of what the costs are. We've seen so much escalation over the last few years, a lack of availability of builders, it's been really tough for developers. But it's cyclical and things will settle down. I think by next year we'll be in a much better position that developers will start getting a feel again for where the costs are and we can start to see things happen again. The apartment prices will push up. We'll go into a market where, as I say, I wouldn't say we've seen oversupply by any means, but we've seen a good ready availability of supply. Now we're going into a market where there's going to be a lack of availability of supply. Prices will push up, the costs will stabilise, and things will come around. Would I say to anyone right now, 
rush out to Bayswater, there's a great opportunity to apartment development there now? No, but I think the good thing and the exciting thing about some of these new precincts, and particularly like a Bayswater station, is it is in a pretty middle area of Perth. If you have a look around there, there's certainly housing around there that is at a decent price and is in a desirable location and it's got a lot of good things happening around there that can make it into a pretty exciting precinct in the future. And a lot of these things are not planned for the right here, right now. We're talking about a city and we're talking about a city that we're planning to be three and a half million people at 2050. 2050 is scarily close in this day and age and we're talking about growing from a bit over 2 million to 3.5 million people. So that's not doubling but it's a pretty substantial amount of growth and we need to start thinking about a city that's not just a big country town which is what we've traditionally thought of Perth as but that's starting to become more of a global city. You reference next year a lot in terms of when you start to see supply coming on middle of next year, end of next year. Obviously, we know that from basic economics, if supply is limited and demand is stable, price can only go one way, modulated by affordability. Given that, what's your near-term view of where Perth's market goes? Obviously, we hear a lot of fluff from the East Coast, a lot of commentary from people who shouldn't be commentating on our market or don't have a, a true understanding of our market. You are the economist on the ground in Western Australia. What is your view on given the fundamentals of demand and supply where prices are going at certain price points in Perth. Yeah, I'm pretty positive about the growth in Perth prices. And if you're a property owner or you're a property investor, I'm pretty positive about it. I'm I'm pretty scared that uh, there is the potential over the next three years that prices could actually have a run, which I think is dangerous from a Perth from an economic point of view, that we've coveted the fact that we're the most affordable city in Australia. We want people to be coming here. We know that we need more trades. We know that we need more doctors, builders, everywhere you look at in Perth at the moment, we need more people. To be able to do that, having the most affordable property prices in Australia is a great benefit and we're really starting to reap the benefits of that at the moment that we are seeing for the first time in a long time, really strong net interstate migration. And we're also starting to see some strong overseas migration start start to emerge as well. All that's great, but all that's going to put a lot of pressure on the market over the next three years. We know and we're seeing it, the population is growing. We know that we've got a real shortage of rental housing and, as you say, even property for people to own or occupy is at a shortage at the moment and we've got a building crisis at the moment. Next year, that residential building crisis will be We'll get over that hump and uh, hopefully the uh, wombats through the snake by late this year and the building industry is starting to get on its feet again and ready to continue to produce, which I think there is going to be the demand there for. So how much do we have a run on property prices? It's going to be depend a lot on that supply side. How ready are we to produce new housing in line with the demand? Well, I posit there's no readiness to produce new housing in all of 2023 and the numbers would show it. There's been land sales have fallen off a cliff, which indicates that there will be no demand for new supply in the first place. No apartment complex has actually started in the last seven months. It's it's commencement of construction. So where is the new supply coming? If there is no new supply coming on, then it's only mortgage stress that would bring any 
extra supply to a market more so than the usual uh, seasonality. Uh, so if demand is continuing continuing to run through immigration, through wage growth, and there is just no capacity for supply, well, the only thing limiting growth is affordability in my mind. You're right. There is price pressure. Absolutely. And I agree with you. There is going to be price pressure over, over the, the uh, next 12, 12 months at the moment. Prices are getting very moderated by the fact that interest rates have gone up. Mm. What is an Pro- economist like you think about this? What, how, how is it going to affect us, interest rates? Will it affect different people at different levels? Oh, absolutely. I and mean, if you have a look at the apartment market, for example, then a lot of the buyers are not having to borrow anyway. So they're a lot less affected by interest because rates. Because they're downsizing. Than, yeah. And that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a particular segment of the apartment market that works right now. Mm. And, and I would say that it's a bit of a warped perspective right now because usually the apartment market in a broad sense is not just downsizes with cash. It's actually a lot of investors. It's a lot of first-home buyers. We're just yeah. not seeing them get in because they're otherwise incentivized to buy things a lot earlier and now because they need to live somewhere right now. Or they don't have faith in the apartment market's fundamentals, so they invest somewhere else right now. And it's only the downsizers who have time on their hands and cash in their pockets who are the only ones actually demanding apartments right now. Yeah, you're very right at the moment. It is a very owner-occupier-led market. Normally it's and, not, right? No, and, and Perth's a bit of an anomaly in that sense. I mean, our figures have been showing that as much as sort of 70% of buyers have been owner-occupiers in the Perth market, which is very high mm. compared to nationally. And you're right, normally there's a far stronger investor market. The investor market is absolutely getting whacked by interest rates at the moment and sentiment. Sentiment drives property markets in a huge way. And so the the investors have seen the downside of a long downward cycle and the longest downward cycle that we've ever seen. So a lot of the investors have taken this uptick in the market that we've seen over the last few years to say, hey, I've had enough with property. Burnt I, out. I'm burned out. Yeah. I've, uh, I've put it on the market. And that's what we're hearing continually in the current market is that every property portfolio by agents has gone backwards and there's less property available for rent. And that's really what's causing this rental well, crisis. Well, that's a fact, right? There are 11,000 properties on the market in 2016 to rent. There's now 1,700. Yep. In any asset class, that is undersupplied. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen a vacancy rate that's been 1% or below 1% for yeah. an extended period It's not healthy. It causes homelessness, no. which has other impacts on amenity for people around town. Oh, absolutely. The housing continuum it ranges from people that are in social housing to private people that own their own housing. And stress along any part of that housing continuum impacts has the impacts yeah. of all the other parts of it. So we're seeing the social housing wait list increase significantly at the moment. Because the rental market because can't support the rental markets, yeah. rents are rising so quickly, people aren't catching up with that. So it's a, we do have a real rental crisis at the moment, which is a significant issue. The foreign buyers are normally a bigger part of the Australian property market. What do you think of the surcharge? It's been four years now since Ben White introduced the foreign buyer surcharge of 7% to bring us in line with the rest of the East Coast. I would posit it is single-handedly the worst policy decision Ben White had made in his tenure. If you look at the stats, $50 million in stamp duty a year was coming in from foreign buyers. Since the foreign buyer surcharge came in, we've been receiving about $8 million a year in stamp duty and about $8 million a year in foreign buyer surcharge. 
There's about $200 million from my calculations that's been left on the table since Ben White introduced the foreign buyer surcharge in 2019. I'd like to know how he answers for that. Obviously, he's not a minister anymore, but Mr. McGowan needs to be very aware of the impacts that decision has made on our economy. I think it's a real opportunity now if we were to, to remove the foreign buyer surcharge. And, and the changes in stamp duty did help that the foreign buyers buying off the plan can get relief from that foreign buyer surcharge. But I think there's a real opportunity now to send a message to foreign buyers if we were to remove that that we want foreign investment. We need foreign investment. Yeah, we need to compete here. against the East Coast. We are competing for their money against the Gold Coast and we are losing massively at the moment. Yeah, there's a real opportunity, as I say, to, to try and attract foreign buyers. The great thing from a developer point of view is, and and an end, end economy point of view, foreign buyers tend to jump in developments early. They'll buy off the plan when often local buyers are a bit scared of because buying off the plan early. Because they're not scared of apartments. No, they're, used they're to not it. scared. They they're, live in one. They're used, they're used to it, and they're also used to the process of buying off the plan. Those early buyers off the plans is what gets developments out of the ground and gets them happening. And the foreign buyers at the end of the day are often investors or they're sending their children here to university. So they're they supplying, never sell. Yep, they're supplying housing to the local market or they're sending their children here to university. So it's got big economic mm. gains for us. It's something that we really need in Perth. We need to have more of it. And yes, I think that uh, taking that off the table, it hasn't been raising the money that it was forecast to be raising, particularly out of the apartment market. And it could be a really positive statement if that was to be removed at some stage. Well, if you know Mark McGowan and you've got, an, uh, you've got his mobile number, please give him a call and tell him that that would probably be the best thing he could do for our market. No more of these incentives. Just get rid of the surcharge and increase the investor pool. There are a number of things you'd be doing, but that would be the top of my list, in my opinion. Alan Osler is the chief economist of NAB. He said that we would drop 13% this year. Is he embarrassingly wrong? I certainly don't see Perth property prices dropping anywhere near that. I mean, we've seen really a stabilisation of the Perth property prices, depending on whose figures you look at. We've gone very minorly into the negatives, but certainly in the... In our areas in Perth, the property prices haven't dropped at all. And neither and of the lower uh, quartile price points because they're yeah. still affordable. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're still a very affordable housing market despite the interest rate increases. And the incomes in Perth are some of the best in the country. Gone are the days that when I was young, you had to go over to Sydney to get a, uh, a pay increase. These, these days, it's almost the other way around in a lot of industries. People are coming over here to get a pay increase, you only look, need to look at the... Uh, and half their mortgage. Ca- <laughs> and some of the campaigns that have been run for people like police out of the UK that come to Perth and you get a substantial pay increase from where you are at the UK. So we are in an enviable position that we've still got r- relatively affordable houses and good wages. We just need somewhere to put them. Dave, before you go, Urbis puts out a report called the Essentials Report. Now, it would be remiss of me not to ask you to rattle that off for us for everyone listening. Yeah, sure. Well, what we do is we we collect and we're the industry benchmarker for the apartment market, not only here, but nationally. We collect data from a lot of the major developers, then give them access back into a dashboard called the Apartment Market Essentials Dashboard. It is very much sort of an industry product and it is that the larger developers that uh, have access to this data. 
and not so much that people download readily, but we often put press releases out and try and give people a bit of insight to what's happening in the apartment market. So just some of the some of the things that we saw happen that very much in line with our discussions last year, 2022, we saw a real drop in the amount of apartments that were completed in 2022, lowest year that we'd seen for quite some time, only 770 apartments completed across Perth. When you look at that and you compare that back to 2017, we were at almost 3,000 apartments that got completed in 2017. So five years later... You can see uh, where the housing supply is in the uh, rental space. We're very low. There is a fair bit under under the pipeline at the moment, and this year we'll expect to see about 2,000 apartments completed this year. So we see a bit of a kick up across a broad range of areas of projects that have been under construction over the last two years so or three this, years. The Grove, the, Civic Heart? Some of those are certainly some of the ones that will get completed this year or next year and already under construction. But as I say, in a pretty broad range of areas across Perth, the what's under construction at the at the moment and a lot of those have got pretty good levels of pre-sales already but there's still availability in a lot of those and there's certainly a good opportunity for people who are looking or considering apartment at the moment some of the ones that are still under construction now have benefited from the fact they did lock in their prices before the big jumps in construction that have happened over the last one to two years so certainly still a fair bit under construction that can be completed this year and even into next year, sort of at least 1,500 apartments will get completed into next year. So still some coming through. The sales have been knocked around by the fact that that lack of confidence that we've been talking in the market. But this quarter certainly saw a bit of a tick up from where we saw last quarter. Last quarter seemed to be the uh, quarter that really got hit by the drop in sentiment and uncertainty and saw sales for that quarter drop down to 195 sales and now back to 250 apartments sold in the uh, last quarter, both off the plan and in completed product. As we were saying, one of the big changes that's happened in the market is the availability of apartments that have been completed. So if we have have a look now what, where we're at with uh, apartments that are available, and we're now down to about 550 apartments across all developments in Perth, in buildings that are completed and haven't yet sold out. But that's a big drop of where we were only a couple of years ago. So of the 7,000 properties available in the market right now, 500 of them are apartments, is what you're saying? Oh, in brand new apartments, yes. Yeah. 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 We're, we're tracking at the moment in active projects or anything selling from being sold off the plans through to being sold, sold final apartments on completion. We're tracking about 8,800 apartments that are in that sort of active stage. So huge number of developments across a vast variety of areas and things in in Perth. But over 70% of those apartments have actually already been sold. Um, so just highlighting, there are certainly, there are changes in Perth. We are seeing more demand for apartment product across Perth and particularly the inner and the coastal sort of areas that are really viable at the moment. But there is demand and as we say, it's pretty hard to make everything viable and come together at the moment, but it will bounce back and we will see uh, apartment development continue to be popular in Perth. And in fact, what we think in Perth in the medium and longer term is that we'll see a far higher proportion of the total amount of dwellings in Perth 
be apartment stock. Well, it's a necessity, isn't it? It is absolutely. It, there's only one way for our city to mature, and that is to look more like Brisbane. And to be honest, it's these guys have markets that are 10, 20, 30 years more mature than us. I think Brisbane's a one that's a lot easier to relate to for Perth people. Brisbane's not actually that much bigger size city than us. Um, they seem far more willing, though to move with the times, to progress with urban infill. They have far less red tape. They have one city council for the whole metropolitan area, which obviously helps streamlining so much of the planning side of things too. It feels like a market that is much more willing to move with that urban infill and uh, less, less objections, if that makes sense, to having it in their local area. Yeah, I think wherever you go, there's always that not in my backyard element. I mean, it's easy to look at Sydney and say, wow, you've seen so much development in Sydney. People must be very accepting of apartments and things in Sydney. I speak to our planning team over there and they say, no, it's not easy to get. It's probably harder, actually. Yeah, Yeah. Sydney is actually a very hard system. Brisbane, you're right, is a pretty progressive system in a lot of ways. At the end of the day, though, the Perth system whilst it's copped a bit of flack more recently, the JDAP system is actually working incredibly well and not just from a development point of view, I think from a overall Perth moving forwards, JDAPs are actually doing exactly what they've been intended to do. They allow for input from local councils. They allow local local councillors to be sitting there and have independent non-biased people that can also look past just what's the very localised issue political that might issue. be there yeah. and political issues that might be there and produce a non-biased outcome that is aimed at producing a great city. Oh, it's and been very positive. The JDAP system has been very positive for progress from a commercial perspective. Uh, you think about all the childcare centres that have been approved and built in Western Australia and how hard that would have been if it was left to the political will of the councils. Um, all these public services that come up, petrol stations, fast food, shopping centres, all these things, if they were left to a political spectrum, half of this stuff would never get up. So certainly helps. Uh, and the changes that have come in recently to reduce the threshold for JDAPs to get involved on a, a assessment uh, level with urban infill as well will continue to assist a bit more throughput. It's going to remove some of that red tape at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly... It steps in the right direction and certainly uh, positive from a proper development sense. But I think the really important thing here is that it gets seen that it's just positive for property developers. And I think people forget about that property developers at the end of the day... Provide a basic service. Yeah, trying to produce dwelling. Yep, trying to produce housing, trying to actually make a better city. Mm. Um, So it's not just good for property developers. It's a good thing as Perth progresses. It's good for the economy. It's good for uh, people able to get housing. It's aimed at keeping affordable housing in Perth. So there's a lot of positives. It's not just good. It's not making money for property developers. Um, Everyone benefits from urban fuel. Yeah, it's got far bigger social and economic benefits that are often overlooked and uh, and it can often get a bad rap but I think at the end of the day when you look at what developers have to go through and some of the uh, really challenging things that develop and costly things that developers have had to go through to uh, get through the um, the process 
it's not an easy ride for anyone. Developers will complain that it's a hard system for them to navigate. The planning system will say, yes, it's justified that you have to uh, navigate this, this system and you have to be forced to produce a good outcome. So I think overall, on balance, the Perth system's actually doing a good job. David Cresp, Director of Property and Economics at Urbis. Thanks so much for the chat, mate. It's been very enlightening and I uh, look forward to having you on again with some more non-biased opinions of the Perth market. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!